So, a few days ago, I was involved in a conversation on Facebook about Marjorie Taylor Greene. And if you haven't heard of her, it's not terribly surprising. She's a brand new um, rep for the House of Representatives. She's representing Georgia's 14th, uh, 14th District, and she just assumed office in January of this year. If you have heard of her, it's probably because you've seen the SNL skit, um, you've heard about uh, Cori Bush moving her office, or um, which I'll talk about a little bit more, or you've seen any number of the plethora of articles that are littering media right now talking about how she's a conspiracy theorist, she's a QAnon um, empathizer, that she uh, had an AK-47 on a Facebook that was taken down on a post that was taken down. Like there's, there, there is, if you look her up, you'll find a large amount of stuff that proclaims that she's crazy, you know? So the conversation started with this basically that she's really crazy and she needs to be ousted period. She's bad. She needs to stop and get out, you know? And there was several people in the conversation before I got involved that basically agreed. And I simply, pointed out, I, I made a point that she's not my representative and she wasn't the representative of the person who posted this and that I'm not really comfortable telling somebody else how they should feel about their representative that they just voted into office. There was a response from one of this the top poster's friends that said something to the effect of, uh, you know, she's evil and she's a danger to society or something of this nature. I don't remember the exact wording. It's gone now. I'm assuming I got blocked because I simply asked that person, how so? I did not get a response from that person. However, I did get more conversation and responses to what I was saying from folks I did know and I have talked with in real life and we know stuff about each other's lives. So this is, you know, as opposed to that person who I didn't even know who it was. So the conversation continues and basically... I get told to Google any dozens of hateful and crazy things she's done, you know, or whatever. And that if I'm not, if I hadn't heard of her, it's because I'm not paying close enough attention, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to say to me since I'm definitely paying a lot of attention to what's going on in the political landscape these days. I continue to hold kind of my, my point, which is, but she was voted in by her constituencies and I'm, you know, everybody deserves the right to be represented. I'm not, I, pro I don't think I would have voted for her, but she doesn't, she's not representing where I live, you know. And then the po the next pushback was about the Cori Bush office move. And so I had not heard about that either. So I did some digging into it and found the videos, all, as many as I could find. And they, they're all basically the same. Some are edited down. But every one of the videos I watched and everything that I read didn't line up because the, in the videos, I don't see either of them berating each other or getting in each other's face. They sound like two high school girls yelling at each other across the quad, uh, you know, something, you know, being stupid and petty. And it also, in my, from what I could see of the videos, Corey Bush actually was yelling at her first. And so I just, I, and I don't think that this is appropriate behavior for representatives of our U.S. government. But that being said, you know, this drama about her being a threat to other representatives seemed a little, uh, a bit of an, an extreme exaggeration, in my opinion. We 
And then the continue the conversation continues, where, you know, not everybody deserves representation. You know, there's there's a long list: racist, anti-Semites, science deniers, conspiracy therapists, and you know, KKK. And there's there's several arguments that not everybody deserves representation. So, which I argued against for sure. You know, but this kind of got under my skin and, and, and got, like, pinged something in me because a few days ago I watched this movie called Radium Girls. And in this movie that was set, like, in the 20s, we're dealing with these women who are trying to stand up for something that they that they believe is wrong. And the ma- the vast majority of the public at that time was not in agreement. Not only... they. They, they were worried about the jobs that would be lost if, you know, these girls shut down the plant. And, you know, at the time, radium was being touted as a health, an, an all-inclusive health elixir, you know, so the messaging at, at large by the companies and news, et cetera, was this stuff is good for you. Meanwhile, these women are dying and they're, they're trying to figure out why, you know, and which I thought was interesting. And then to top it off, we have this element of the love interest who she refers to as a red and we both we see and she sees that he has like a little communist pin on one of his bags and at that time this was during the first red scare so i decided to look into that a little bit because i thought the red i didn't realize the red scare had gone all the way back to that point but apparently there were two red scares the first one that happened basically at the end of world war one was pretty short-lived and I'll here's a little blip of, um, that I got from Paul uh, Burnett it's uh, it looks like it might have been a project for a class but I he, I'm gonna include this link because he does a really good job of kind of talking about what happened during the first that first little tiny bit and it says shortly after the end of World War one and the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia the Red Scare took hold of the United States a nationwide fear of communist socialist anarchist and other dissidents suddenly grabbed the American psyche in 1919 following a series of anarchist bombings. The nation was gripped in fear. Innocent people were jailed for expressing their views, civil liberties were ignored, and many Americans feared that the that a Bolshevik-style revolution was at hand. Then in the early 20s, the fear seemed to dissipate just as quickly as it had begun, and the Red Scare was over. And so it goes on, this this is a good, if you're wanting more information about that part, I was definitely not as familiar with that aspect of it. I kind of had a general understanding of uh, the Red Scare and McCarthyism during, you know, from my studies in political science. But since I lean more towards, like, political ideology or thoughts and political um, philosophy, I wasn't as kind of keen and interested in in-depth on the history side, you know, of things which now apparently I'm digging up so there's that um, so jo- Joseph so in the 50s you know this starts pumping up again as people are fearful that the you know, communists are infiltrating uh, public offices and state and government jobs and Hollywood that's a big one and Onto the scene comes Senator John McCarthy, who basically it just becomes this bullying engine that drives uh, people 
drives the the country into this anti-communist like witch hunt for lack of a better word and it's so much so that people were who should have been standing up against him refused to stand up against him or were didn't want to because it, uh, here according to an article i got from uh Khan Academy oh this is an article it's part of a like a kind of an assignment it's the arts and humanities u.s history the post-war era 1945 to 1980 this is the 1950s um anti anti-communism in the 1950s section of this and i'll put the link in there too but they make a good point it says mccarthy's allegations shock the nation finding himself in the spotlight mccarthy held hearings in the senate relying on innuendo and hearsay to condemn members of the, of the state department of communist ties for more than four years, McCarthy rallied against supposed communist, Eastern establishment Democrats, and homosexuals. He never produced a shred of real evidence against anyone, but even those powerful enough to stop him were afraid McCarthy would turn his accusations against them if they spoke out. I will not get in the gutter with that guy, President Eisenhower reportedly said of McCarthy, thus leaving McCarthy to operate without challenge. And it's it's a definite tactic like to just smear people just railroad them and it does create a, an element of fear but how can you do that with if if people how how do you dehumanize somebody enough that they are put in a place where they're fearful of speaking their mind you know and as i as i was thinking about that i found this this idea of the four steps that Hitler used, well, I found an actual article, but these are the four steps that Hitler used to dehumanize people, the Jews, during, uh, during his reign, you know. And the first step is prejudice. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Prejudice is not exclusively about racism. Even though it sometimes is interchanged with that, the Reality is prejudice is about putting people in a box because you don't like something about them it, in general. If you're being prejudiced, it's because somebody has an element about them. They're fat. They're white. They have, they're skinny. They're, it can be anything. In this particular case, it, for the Nazis, they, they were being, pre the way that they enforced prejudice was through the Nuremberg Laws of the nineteen of nineteen thirty five, where they were trying to prevent Aryans from marrying uh, Jews, it referring to uh, gypsies, Negroes, and their bastard offsprings. So it wasn't just that you you couldn't marry a Jew, but you couldn't like also maybe marry a bastard. Like who knows? There was definitely some like clear like who's good and who's bad, and these people are bad, and put them in that box. Right. And for McCarthyism, you know, the Lavender Scare is a perfect example of this. Uh, the Lavender Scare was a moral uh, panic during the mid 20th century about homosexual people in the United States government and their mass dismissal from government service. It contributed to and paralleled the anti-communist campaign known as McCarthyism and the Second Red Scare. Gay men and lesbians were said to be a national security risk and communist sympathizers, which led to the call to remove them from state employment. It was, all, it was thought that gay people were more susceptible to being manipulated, which could pose a threat to the country. And I'm sure that it doesn't take a lot to translate that to what's happening today with how the 
people who supported Trump or Trump supporters or Trumplicans or whatever, however they're being referred to, are being basically minimized and prejudiced against, being called stupid and idiotic. It, you know, it, it's not a far leap from what happened and what was being said through these three phases. The next step is to have a scapegoat. So you got to take that prejudice and blame those people for something bad, you know. That in Hitler blamed the Jews for all of the ills that were happening at the time. Anything that went wrong, it was the Jews' fault. The Jews were taking jobs, they were stealing money, they were whatever the like he just would it constantly, oh, well the Jews are doing this, you know. Whereas uh, McCarthy did it a little bit differently. He weaponized these vague claims. He stood up with papers and a list of names of people he knew were communists and like he would rally up people and get them, you know, into a, a frenzy about how the communists are, you know, c coming, coming for your jobs and they're coming to change your way of life and they're coming to take your Christianity. Like, like he was using kind of these very vague broad br brush stroke type type of claims you know and then today we we definitely have scapegoats today funny enough it's kind of happening on both sides right we've got we got one side basically saying that immigrants immigration and immigrants are all the woes of what we're feeling today economically and you know tax wise etc and you got the other side that are saying these conspiracy theorists are just causing all this commotion with all these you know, inaccurate, unscientific, they're, they're, they're caught, they're making problems worse, you know, so it's, the, no matter what, there's always somebody to blame, and it's never ourselves. It's always that other guy, and depending on which side of the argument you're on nowadays, you're going to hear this. I, I hear it on both sides. The third step is to discriminate, so we're just going to put a big old yellow star right on them. That's what Hitler did. Here you go. You can identify the problem by this thing that they have to wear on their chest. You know? Whereas in McCarthy's time, they were just labeled as reds. You know? Or labeled as sympathizers. That was a big, that was part of his big you know, vagueness that he used to bully and manipulate people. Uh, in fact, it, there's here it says the problem with McCarthy. This is an article in um, Business Insider from 19, I'm sorry, 2017 from George Friedman. And he says the problem with McCarthy was not his stated intent, but his real intent. McCarthy found, f found few, if any, communist spies. But he used the charge of communism as a tool to discredit and destroy those he disagreed with, whether for ideological or opportunistic reasons McCarthy used legitimate contempt for communism to attack liberals by labeling them as communists and uh, there's several examples where he, he used communist empathizer as well you know today we have the same things we you we're put we're we're if if you voted for Trump you're immediately like just uh ignored what's the word I'm looking like it's my daughter even told me this at one point. She's like, I don't know if I could have a conversation with somebody who voted for Trump, which I thought was the wildest thing to hear. Like, it's just like, oh, you voted for Trump? I discredited. Anything you have to say is of no use to me. You have nothing valuable. You're probably an idiot kind of feeling. That's, that is the feeling that I get 
from lots of people when I'm having conversations about this kind of stuff. And so the final step is to have um, persecution, you know, and it's not pretty much everybody knows how the Jews were persecuted through Hitler. They were forced out of their homes. They were forced to give up their worldly um, possessions. They were forced into concentration camps where they were also forced into gas chambers. Like, it's not a hard idea. The same was happening, Some, not the same, but a similar kind of thing was happening during McCarthyism. We, they, they were rounding people up. They were arresting them. They were making them go into these, you know, uh, star chambers. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, star chambers. So this is from an article called The New Red Scare that was also written in 2017 by A. Barton Hinkle that was published on Reason. I, I don't know what that, it, it doesn't look like it's a publication. I guess it might be. It says, some took it too far. The overreaction led to loyalty oaths, so people had to take oaths, and the Star Chamber hearings before the House Un-American Activities Committee and Hollywood blacklists, and a general atmosphere of what today we might call political correctness, an intolerance of dissenting ideas that challenged or were insufficiently devoted to the prevailing anti-communistic orthodoxy. The more common name for this overreaction is McCarthyism. And the reason this is interesting to me is I just listened to a a podcast today where they were talking about um, manufacturing consent, you know, but the the gal who was talking used the term manufacturing advocacy. And the basic idea is it's not enough that you that you are hiding and saying and, and, and swearing that you're not a communist as a lot of people were doing. Like they, we've really taken it to the next level. Like if you're not agreeing or actually putting out the same messaging, then you are like, if you're not putting out a messaging that racism is bad, then you're a racist. If you're not putting out a messaging that, you know, of, pro-feminism then you're a misogynist and it's this kind of concept that we are really like forcing almost this compliant like if you don't agree and you aren't also having an advocate voice then you are then you are clearly the other side and i'm sure that you can think of a couple times you've seen posts in social media that clearly say like if you can't say this, then you're that. Like, I've certainly seen plenty of them, you know? And we also have this idea of deprogramming and re-educating. And there's, like, there's this definite, like, there's something wrong with you if you don't agree with us. And if you don't agree with us, we're going to fix you. Which is, it, it, there's, it, it's a scary proposition that's happening. And, and it, really just surrounds down to, and all this all does is surrounds down to if you don't agree with what the, the I'm saying and, and can back with the support of the media and all the, the other people who agree with me who are, you know, screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs, then shut up. We don't want to hear your voice. Your ideas are stupid. We don't want to hear what you have to say. And, and furthermore, we're going to try and shut down anybody who you 
who agrees with you from public office, so those voices aren't getting into our government either, which to me is incredibly scary and incredibly concerning. And I, you know, so I ended this conversation, you know, this back and forth about whether representation is okay or not, or, or who should get represented. And I, and I say, you know, while I have complete disdain for racists and I cannot understand how anyone has experienced any ounce of life could be racist, every person in the country deserves the human dignity of representation. Once upon a time in countries across the ocean, there were a whole bunch of people who, were not, who weren't being given that. If we start silencing voices, no matter how much we do not agree with or believe what they say to be true, where will it end? What voice will be next? And I have to admit, I'm a little concerned that my voice could be next because I ask questions because I am willing to say like, well, I don't, this doesn't feel right to me. I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily supporting Miss Marjorie Green. Uh, I don't know enough about her to, to support her or not, but I do support her constituents' right to representation. And if we're ousting the people that are being voted in by a, by a population that they're representing, that, that's, to me, like the next level problem step, you know? So is it reasonable to be concerned that the treatment of Trump supporters today equates to like an orange scare? Like, are we, are we going to see this McCarthyism mentality really take full hold here? now in the near future i don't know but i do know that it's something i'm concerned about so that's what i have to say hope y'all are having a good evening take it easy